Hey guys, this is Timothy Very from Manchester Orchestra and Tim Very Drums. And this week I will be a guest on the Big Fat Five. Thanks for having me. What up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. This week's guest is Tim Very, drummer for the rock band Manchester Orchestra. Tim is a highly imaginative crafter of parts who knows exactly where to sit in the song. He's powerful and playful and perfectly in tune with what the vibe needs to be. So I first saw Tim live at the Fillmore in Philadelphia in 2018, but not because I bought a ticket. I was on tour with my band and we were playing the smaller upstairs room of that venue called The Foundry. And the thing is, to get to our dressing room, you had to walk along this path at the top of the Fillmore, clearly seeing this sold-out Manchester Orchestra show. So it's either a good motivation booster or a humiliation, depending on how your tours have been going, but I was just stoked to see Tim play. Now, I will say this, Tim is on tour right now, and we could only find time to chat while he was on his tour bus, so the Wi-Fi isn't the best, and the generator was going the whole time. I did my best with the audio, but it is a little bit rumbly-tumbly. Then about halfway through, it just crapped out completely quality-wise. And while we did finish our conversation in real time with all the five choices, I had Tim re-record the last three separately on his own and send them to me after the fact. While this isn't my ideal way to release an episode, I loved talking with Tim and didn't want to put this one in the trash bin on account of less than stellar audio. That being said, thanks for sticking with me if you listen to the whole thing. I think Tim has great insight on these songs and drummers. I mean, it's not that bad audio, but I just want you to know that this isn't the quality I usually prefer for these chats, and also the the three at the end that were recorded separately. You know, I like talking in real time. So regardless, thank you, Tim, for taking the time, both times, and I hope you all enjoy this chat about what made Tim, Tim. Also, for the sake of dating this episode, go check out Tim on tour right now with Manchester Orchestra. So head over to manchesterorchestra.com for all the deets. Cheers. This is the hard-hitting question. How would you describe yourself as a drummer? Oh, man. That's a tough one. Well, um, you know, I, I would—I guess I would like to describe myself as a songwriting, you know, sort, sort of songwriter's drummer where I'd like to think that um, you know, after doing this for 20 years or so, whatever it's been at this point, that um, I'm bringing something to the table that isn't just you know, drums and, and groups and all that, but it's, you know, understanding what a song should have or could have in it to hopefully enhance it or hopefully add something, a flavor or a feel to it that it wouldn't have had previously. It takes a lot of time and work, but, um, you know, leaving your mark on a song and feeling like, man, that's, that's better because I played on it. You know, that's kind of what, that's what I'm always sort of circling around and hoping to reach is having an impact on the song. That's like just that right thing, you know, mm-hmm. just that not too much, not too little, you know, really 
just being fine dining about it. That's a that's a that's a term we our uh, lighting guy gave. You know, he used to work with Gogo Go Bordello. He said one time he was setting up the the backdrop, and there was this little wrinkle in the bottom corner. And the singer came up. And he was like, "Gaby, this isn't fine dining." And we love that term of like, <laughs> you know, go all the way with it. You know, fine dining experience and really care with what you're doing. You know, so. Do you remember your first musical experience growing up? Just the first thing that happened? Well, you know, I will say, I guess a, a really huge sort of pivotal one that got me um, on my path to drumming is my dad was a, was a drummer, fortunately. And he had this old 68 Ludwig drum set, Psychedelic Red. I mean, it's this amazing, iconic drum set. And I was about 13, turning 14, and a neighbor in my, that lived up my street, he was like getting into rock bands. He got his first like Ivan as guitar or whatever. And he came downstairs and saw that drum set. It was up on the shelf. It wasn't even being used. And he was like, look at this drum set. You're not playing this thing? And it dawned on me like, wow, I, I probably should play this thing since it's sitting down here. And that kind of dragged him down, set him up all wonky, and my dad heard me banging on him, and he came down and set him up the right way, and that really kind of, like, that started the whole path, so that was definitely, you know, I wasn't one of those guys that got to start playing when I was, like, six years old and get lessons out the gate. It took me a little while to kind of find my identity, but um, I instantly knew that this was something I was going to be doing for a long time. What was the first song you learned? So that was that was when Nirvana was like in its just absolute heyday. So it was really hard. I got you know it hit me right at the right time. I was I used to have this old VHS that had every Nirvana music video all lined up on it. I would watch that all the time. So Damn. you know as we'll talk about in a little while, obviously Dave Grohl was a huge influence on my drumming, and so I instantly jumped in and started to try to learn Nirvana songs, which. I think is a killer place to start as a drummer because he writes, you know, attainable drum parts, but mm -hmm. they're the perfect parts for songs. And it's a great introduction on how, what I hope to do, how to service a song and kind of enhance it. You know, uh, he still gets to have his fun, but he's doing the right thing for the song back there. And it's always like, man, I wish I would have thought of that part. That's a that's an iconic drum fill right there. You know, to get to to get to to get to to get. Like no one's ever gonna be able to do that drum fill in a song ever yeah. again without getting called out. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking speaking of a few of the songs, I do have two songs that I really love the drums uh, from your band. Manchester Orchestra. So I want to play a little bit of them and just if there's a story or maybe what you what you like about the drum part, um, just basically world is your oyster. But I do want to play a, a few of the songs. So here they are right now. The first one is called The Gold. It's it's in six. I, I, I won't. I'll just play it. And it was really cool to watch the video of you playing this because there is your 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 left hand isn't just doing the upbeats. You're doing a little more ghost notes that you might not hear unless you visually see it, which was cool. Definitely. Yeah, the 
The double stroke hits are really kind of the secret in this song. Those, yeah. You know, and really just, uh, we spent a lot of time, quite honestly, with our producer, Catherine, deciding exactly what the backbeats and where they were going to be, you know? Yeah. This is certainly, like you said, it's in six, um, but it was my job to try to make it not, you know, if you took a regular could put a really regular beat underneath this time signature and it would you know it was my job to try to fill up some of that space and give it that swing yeah by putting all those backbeat snare hits into it and um yeah it's definitely i feel like it's one of those songs that people once they start to dig into it they realize it's a little bit more to the groove than what it might feel like when you're just hearing it in a kroger on the you know sure yeah. coming through the <laughs> you know, coming yeah. through the speakers or whatever um but um, yeah, that was definitely a song too that Andy had the whole song written out on an acoustic and he brought it to us and said, man, I have this song and I really like, I love the lyrics, I love the flow, but it was, there was no music to it other than him kind of, you know, plucking away at this, at this six, six, eight kind of feel song. And so we started to slowly build it up from there, but it wasn't until I really started to, to, to lock into the hitting those backbeats on the snare that the band, you know, you're always looking, you know, this feeling too. I'm sure when you're looking at the other guys while you're writing and you're just like looking for those eyes that say, yes, that's what I want to hear. You know, you're looking for the, the body language that says, this is what we were looking for. You yeah. know, and so I feel like I'm always kind of trying to chisel that out while we're in a room working together, like keep working at it until the body language of the other guys in the room says, this is what they feel like building on top of now, you know? Yeah. So that was definitely, that was totally that kind of start from the ground of construction of a song. And we do it a lot, you know, where Andy will bring up acoustic song and be like how can we turn this you know, from a singer songwriter type song into something more into something a little bit more conceptualized you know and so the gold was a really real real you know challenging experience to get that song exactly like we wanted it dropout chorus the first part of the song that was a huge debate on whether we should drop out that long in the song or if that was too much space you know for the average listener to yeah. you know and all this stuff and it just like after a while it just starts to suss itself out and you realize this is the way the song should this is what it needs to be you know so, that's my favorite part about being in a band is having those conversations like great? does it drop out too long and we're all in the control room like great? listening yeah. nine times over i love that yeah, it's like, let's get down to brass tacks on this song and figure out what it really wants and needs to be. And it is cool, like, when you can, especially, you know, it can be stressful sometimes in oh, the moment when everyone's feeling the weight of, like, making sure they're, you know, taking care of their side of the street in the whole process, you know? You don't want to be the guy that everyone's like, man, if we just had this drum part sorted out, we could all <laughs> yeah. move on here, you know? No, Tim, we're doing great. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, who can we call? It's like the stuff after he leaves. <laughs> exactly. Oh yeah, that's yeah. It's you have to be around the right people that you can be like. I am completely vulnerable because I feel like an idiot right now. I don't feel like I have this part down. So just like bear with me. But once you find that group, that crew, it's it's the best. Um, all right. Well, another song I wanted to play is is a song with another cool drum beat. It's called Every Stone, and it's uh, it's from Cope.
I like the way this album's mixed too. The drums are a little bit lower in the mix, and the guitars are really crunchy. It's it's cool. Oh yeah. The timing of this too is cool because you keep that drum beat going, but the guitar is kind of a little shorter. So when you do your hits, the first time you hear it, it's kind of out of nowhere in a cool way. At least that's how I perceived it. I could be totally wrong. This this part right here. I love that. Just going big and then just going right down. It's so cool. It's so yeah. cool. Yeah, this whole record is really just like, you know, it's the it was like the one knob, like, are we going to be on 11 or, you know, are we going to go back down? But, you know, everything was gas on this record. Like, it's just, so. all right, I guess in this section, more gas. And we'll just like hit him with more, you know, and Hope was certainly our, um, it was just an attitude. I feel like in a lot of ways, of like we're going to go against at that time, what was kind of the pop sheen you know, four on the floor kind of stuff was really, really, really big, you know, and, um, and we kind of just wanted to, to just dive into something a little bit different. And so I guess our, our answer was to just turn everything up as loud as it can go. Like you said, like the mix of the record, the drums, I mean, we've actually had people talk about it, like, you know, just how loud the guitars are. Um, and the drums almost do get buried, but it was a conscious decision. I like mixing, it. You know, and with John Aniello to be like, hey, this is an attitude. So, like, let's just, you know, turn it up even that little bit more where it's like the guitars are just in your face. And um, but that song is one of these songs that I'm so glad we took it out of the set because it is an absolute just beast of a song live to play <laughs> sure. you know it's already like you like you like you're saying all the syncopation stuff going on the whole time but then in the second half of the song you know it dials up to just a full on like you know just you know the whole thing wide yeah. open and yeah, that's one of those songs. I was like, when we pulled that one out of the set list, I wasn't too bummed. I was like, all right. <laughs> Especially <laughs> after two years of breathe. not playing, you know, you're like, yeah, let's maybe that yeah. one. Uh... <laughs> we're coming up on, we, we're, we're starting to do, you know, you know, we're thankful for it, but it is amazing that we're starting to hit all these 10 year anniversaries of our albums now. Mm -hmm. And Cope, crazy enough, is coming up soon where we might have to go out and play the whole thing from front to back. And I'm like terrified about this. Sure. I'm like, I'm getting too old for this shit. You know? Yeah, seriously, guys. I wrote that eight years ago. Okay. Yeah. Was, uh... Yeah. When I was willing to work that hard, you know, no, I'm what, just kidding. But... Why don't we do like a two year anniversary of that one? That's go back true. in time, but that's about it. Maybe yeah. we'll play like three songs from it and then go back to the sweet chill stuff. You know? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, I am thankful for Coke. It's a, it's a loud, just, just straight in your face kind of rock record but where we wear it as a badge of honor in our catalog of like oh yeah you know we can go all the way to monster huge if we want to it's just that manchester you know thankfully is continuing to evolve as a band and as players and musicians within the band we're all trying to continue push ourselves to be better players, mm -hmm. writers, producers, you know, and and be more in tune with what kind of, 
you know, growth we should have as a band and what fits with for us for the future. And, you know, a record like Coke just isn't what we're doing anymore, but we're still thankful to look back on it and be like, yeah, you guys were like, you know, you turned it all the way up and you, wore, you know, you had the attitude. So, yeah, um, it's a fun record for sure. So thanks for digging that one out, man. That's going back a minute now. All right, everyone, I wanted to share some exciting news that the latest season of the podcast Food on Tour has just begun. Touring drummer and good buddy of mine, Mike Robinson, who plays with Oliver Tree. He's covered a few gigs for me with Cannons. He's also played with K-Flay, Delwater Gap, Blame My Youth, and many more. He dives into mouthwatering conversations with professional musicians and artists to uncover their most cherished bars and restaurants to frequent on tour from hidden gems to five-star meals at iconic establishments around the world. Fans of food, music, and travel can look forward to new episodes every Monday. So download Food on Tour wherever you listen to your podcasts and give Mike a, a, a sup for me. What a horrible way to end this. Cheers. Hey, y'all. I wanted to... <laughs> I can't say. I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by 5.5 snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three-position strainer, 42-strand wires. It's lovely. It's loud. And it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with the drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it and i regretted it ever since then just because i was trying to pinch pennies at the time and i just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye um, all right, so one question that we can get into your big fat five. So, so you're a drummer in a band, so you're not a clinician. And when you perform, you already said you are a songwriter's or song drummer. But what is your relationship with technique? Since you're not trying to impress drummers, you're trying to impress a listener who enjoys the song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I definitely spend a good amount of time checking out other drummers you know online and trying to keep my fingers on the pulse of the drumming community and see what who's doing what and that is one thing to me that's so exciting 
about being a drummer in today's day and age is there's somebody doing whatever you're into. There's somebody doing it way, way better than you could ever imagine already out there. You just got to go dig their profile up and find, them, you know? Mm -hmm. And so for me, you know, I think for some people that's depressing because they're like, oh, like, man, this is so saturated out here. But for me, it's really, really refreshing because, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of years playing in a band and I'm not going to say that this is sort of normal now, but it has normalized in a lot of ways where I have to find ways to keep myself inspired and motivated to continue to make progress as a player. So for me, um, it's finding guys like that are doing, you know, not just not just technique when it comes to like look at these cool paradiddles and you know here's all these practice bad things you can do which you need to do these things and you know i i always get on myself like i need to be warming up more and all of this stuff but um at the same time i love seeing guys who are pushing the envelope with sound and the way that they're micing their drums up or guys like mayo drummer who are running their drums through bunch of processing and effects and like all of that stuff i love that stuff like I'm, I'm messing around with a lot of that myself where um you know i take my nord drum three pad and i slam that through a bunch of guitar pedals and i loop all that stuff and then i write a lot of what i put on my page on top of the loops that i build and that's my personal way of finding my outlet to be inspired again and to find that 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 cycle that I can dig back in on and, and start to, you know, because, you know, it's easy to plateau as a drummer and to kind of just be like, all right, I, you know, I sort of figured out how to do this purdy shuffle. I guess that makes me like a decent drummer, but like what now, <laughs> you know? And yeah. there's just, for me, it's always going to be in finding, you know, these guys who have learned how to do something in a song sonically that pushes the envelope, you know? And um, do I love watching Tony Royster like do superhuman things and Thomas Lang do superhuman things on a drum set. Yes, I think it's absolutely incredible. Am I ever going to be able to play on that level? Probably not. So I have to find like what works for me. For me, it's it's style and texture and just like that stuff when you hear it where you're like, oh god, that's so good and so unique and perfect. And so you know. Yes, I want to be able to replicate any kind of you know pattern or groove that I see another drummer doing, but I also have to you have to accept who you are as a player and what your path, what you're working towards. We all can't be the same guy back there, you know. And so, mm -hmm. but I think there's lots of ways to expand your versatility that aren't just like getting on a drum set and blowing people's minds with you know insane chops and things like that there's lots of ways to get it done and that was the first official dropout of tim's audio if we get right back into it i just wanted you to know that the transition is awkward i think we back. got it we're back, back. Right. I got most of that. I got most okay, of that. Okay. Um, you know, and I, I was getting a little long winded, so it was probably the internet's <laughs> way of telling me to wrap it up anyway. But yeah, basically just trying to, to, um, you know, to, to be multifaceted, you know, and not just view yourself as limited to you know, sitting down on a drum kit. And this is the only thing I can do, you know, drummers these days, I feel like we have to become versatile and have almost, you know, 
you got to be multifaceted if you want to find some success in today's modern music world because there's a lot of good drummers that can keep time now you know there's these young bucks coming up that are I know. youtube drummers that are absolutely you know 15 years old and they're just blowing the doors off of me you know so i'm like all right i gotta learn some new tricks then <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think the trick also, I mean, a lot of young players don't necessarily, young meaning just like on their journey, is uh, listening to music and being able to make better choices. That's sometimes when it comes to being in a band is more important than if you can do that. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you, whoever the artist is that you're playing for, they don't really give a shit. Like if you can, you know, do some kind of like insane thing on the drums back there, they want you to enhance the experience of their music for the audience and for anyone else that's going to listen. And a lot of times, like you were saying, that means taking a back seat. And that is one thing I think the older drummers tend to have a little bit better of a handle on. It's like, okay, you know, we spent a lot of time having artists turn around and give us that look of like, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> or like, I'd heard that mistake, you know, where you start to learn, okay, I know my place. I know, you know, I know my role in this system you know instead of my younger days dude it's almost embarrassing you almost get like oh, shit thinking about some of the old stuff you know or like yep. what was i doing back then you know just, <laughs> i'm with you man so, i'm with you um all right <laughs> well speaking of drummer a drummer that definitely plays to the song but has his own taste here's the first of your five and it is it is dave grohl and the band is uh, the Foo Fighters, or Foo Fighters, as Christopher Walken would say. Um, and the album is The Color and the Shape. And it was it came out in 1997. I believe it is the second Foo Fighters record. And so the drummer, I mean, you said it right. It's Dave Grohl slash William Goldsmith, because I know William wrote a lot of the drum parts with Dave. And then, yeah. as I'm sure this a lot of people This whole thing know, is a very, there's an interesting you know, sort of a whole thing around this record and the drumming and Will's yep. role and, you know, Dave coming in and re-recording and stuff. And this is a, you know, we could, all, we could almost do a whole podcast on this concept itself of like, well, was it right for Dave to come in and re-record the drum parts the way he felt like they should be done on his album that he's personally been waiting to make his entire life? You know, and there's one the songwriter sympathetic person in me says, Dave should do whatever he wants. He should get that record dialed exactly the way he wants it. And then the drummer side of me is like, what an asshole. How did you railroad the drummer who put all this time mm. and work? And, you know, if you look at the documentary, he obviously like, you know, has has some struggles and feelings about the whole thing. And, you know, he kind of gets emotional talking about it and stuff. So I would too. it's not like people don't know about it. And it's, uh, you know, it's a well-known thing that's out there. But it's hard to argue when you listen to this record and you listen to the just absolute, he had it all form, what is the word I'm looking for? He had the format and what he wanted to hear completely ironed out in his mind. And there is no room for other drumming on this album. When you hear it, it's defining. It's some of like the most you know, cool attitude drumming you'll ever hear on any album ever. And it's Dave Grohl literally at, like at his best. Mm -hmm. So 
it's kind of hard to be like, yeah, he shouldn't have done that. <laughs> yeah. When I still go back and I listen to this, I have a hard time feeling like maybe that Will Goldsmith could have done it as well, or it sound as just bombastic and huge, you know, but Hey Johnny Park is such a good um, snippet. I feel like to, to represent this album because just the fill coming into the top of the song and launches you in where you know you're going to be hearing all sorts of tasty stuff like this throughout the whole record he really gives you like a little bit of every kind of thing on the drums through this whole entire album there's like you know everlong that's a drum beat that you know every drummer has sat down and learned how to play at some point is in his drumming career so it's just sort of this thing is iconic beyond belief, especially when it comes to drumming and how it can catapult rock songs into this next level of just energy. So, yeah, you got to sort of take your hats off to Dave Grohl and just be like, yeah, I mean, he's the godfather of, you know, bombastic rock drumming. You know, maybe outside of Bonham, I can't really name somebody that's quite as, you know, impactful as he's been on the whole genre you know so sort of just have to put him in here right you have to write a passage you know though and and the to going back to william um the only thing i'll say about that is because i i I agree with your sentiment that obviously you can wear both hats in that situation if i were to be replaced by anyone if dave Grohl's the one that replaced me i'd be like I mean, I get it. You know, it's Dave Kroll. Um, so I guess you can find solace in that. I was looking up the wiki or something to just to fill out the big fat five form that you sent over. Yeah. And it was just like, I saw this news article, like a couple links down. It was like, Will Goldsmith talks about, you know, this experience and he's still pissed. And I was like, yeah, like I'd be pissed too if I got the boot on the most iconic rock record, you know, of that whole decade, basically. How could he not be a little bit like sawed off about the whole thing? But then I'm sure when he's sitting there by himself at night, you know, and he listens to it, he's got to go like, yeah, Dave, he really played these parts the way they needed to be played. Sure. <laughs> you know, and got- I think I think it goes without saying, I don't think, I mean, I don't know if there's any other, any links or any uh, released footage, not footage, but audio of the drums that William did. Maybe there is out there. I haven't heard them. I'm sure they're amazing recording parts because obviously Sunny Day, William is one of the best rock drummers of all time as well. So it's He's like a massive Sunny Day fan. You know, I was I was one of the guys that was like, Dave got Nate, you got you got the guys from Sunny, you got Will. Totally. I was all pumped about it, you know. And um and it is interesting, you know, that's a whole podcast in itself too, of like band dynamics and things don't always go, you know, what you think it's gonna happen. And you know, your fantasy and your dream might not always play out the way you kind of thought it would or hoped it would up in your head and for it never Will, does you know that yeah no exactly right it actually never goes the way that you think it's going to so this is a good lesson and any drummers out there read up on this whole thing but i agree with you ben i would love to hear what will played and it is interesting that you can't really hear any of it maybe it's amazing and dave's like squash it yeah, Squash he's like, this can't go out. I'm, I'm the best drummer of the 90s. <laughs>
those famous flams on those boys? It's him, man. You know, there's no doubt about it. Beautiful bruises, color. He was on it, dude. Everything fades in time. It's true. Wish that I had another stab at the Yeah, this whole record is a dynamic, like, roller coaster ride. It's awesome. Undeniable. And he jumps right back out. And you're like, yes. I want to. I don't know if there is a video, similarly to Bonham, there's not a video where he's like, hi, I'm Bonzo, here's my technique. But I would love to hear Dave Grohl talk about his sticks because he obviously hits so hard, but he gets so much tone out of his drums. And I don't know how he does it. It's like, it looks like he's gripping so tight, which is what every drum teacher says will give you no tone. You know, that's right. Know. He's using these clubs back there, you know, and then everyone's like, well, maybe it's the fact that his toms are like a 16 inch rack tom, you know, you yeah. know, and all that stuff. But I agree with you. I think it's really just years of perfect, you know, striking that he's yeah. developed where he's in this weird thing where he looks like he's like, you know, he's got the classic hair everywhere, just like coming down from up here but he's not actually hitting them as hard as it looks like unless he wants it to be like animal drumming you know at that moment he yeah. turns that on and no one's better um but you know I, i've often you know his his sound is just there's something about the way he's coming down with just the entire stick is hitting the head, you know? And it's like you said, if there's something about the way that he plays, it's undeniable. Um, but I also got to try out one of his signature snares recently. Oh, um, I didn't know he had like, a signature snare. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. It's like his snare and it has like his face and the beard on it or whatever. It's amazing. And I mean, I'm not going to lie. I cranked that snare drum up and hit it a couple of times. And it was amazing. It sounded amazing. I was like, maybe he just has amazing drums, you know? <laughs> Is it that simple? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's no. not. But that's what, what we all want to believe. Was it a Tama? Was it a DW? What is it? What was it? I think it was a DW snare. It's blue like a blue sparkle and it's yep. got his face on it. It's like his signature and it's a six and a half. It's like a big, fat, awesome sounding drum. Is it, um, is it metal? Is it a hybrid or something like that? But I, I actually never, I never got to look at the shell inside of it. The studio was at the guy had like 14 snare drums lined up and that was just one of them. So yeah, you know, I try to get some time in with all of them. You know? Sure. Sure. Um, all right. So, Moving on, I'm really excited. No one's actually talked about Phil Rudd, so I'm so happy 
and I'm Finally. embarrassed to have a show about drummers that no one's talked about Phil Rudd. But yes, it's the album's Highway to Hell. The song is Highway to Hell. Came out in 1979. Um, and I remember ACDC Live, I think it was like 1992, was one of my most listened to records uh, in high school. But but yeah, drummer's Phil Rudd, man. Uh, let's just maybe talk about the backstory of it, where you were and you, when you heard it, what you liked about it, and then we'll play it. Because I know everyone knows the song, but let's just let's talk about it first. Yeah, I was, I was really excited, actually, to bring him up and bring up ACTC because I feel like, you know, you, you wouldn't typically or sometimes always be, you know, mentioned in this league of incredible drummers because there are so many guys out there that can do so many incredible things but when i was a young buck and i moved to nashville for you know my first my first stint in a band away from you know pensacola and we thought we were about to you know hit the big time right away you know like everyone thinks in their 20s yeah and uh, the the engineer that we were recording stuff with was this and he probably still is. Richie, if you ever hear this for some reason, Richie Biggs, amazing, amazing engineer in Nashville. But he was one of the first guys that really was impressing upon me as a young drummer who was tracking. Listen to what you're not hearing in this song. And so you would throw on ACDC and, and comparatively Spoon, who I feel like gets a lot of drumming inspiration from oh, yeah. Phil. And it's this concept that a lot of young guys don't get. And it took me a long time to get of like, stop hitting all the cymbals, stop like filling up all the frequency, especially when you're tracking, you're filling up all of your drum tracks of all this noise. And the engineer has to spend all this time scrubbing all this high frequency noise because you're in there smacking a ride cymbal at the edge of your stick as hard as you can play. And yeah. it's just, these tendencies that you have as a young guy to be super exuberant, super excited to play and you get in there and you want to like, you know, impress everybody. And so you're swinging for the bleachers when you should be playing the song with some style and some reserve and some like, you know, some fine dining, right? You know, mm -hmm. so he is the example of that. Of, listen to this guy playing the songs. Barely, you barely hear him hit crash cymbals, which is insane. You know, he'll go through a whole half of a song just two and four the whole time and your head is bobbing you want for nothing you're not like man i wish this dude would like you know rip some triplets right here you're going like this is exactly what the song needs so many drummers it takes them half their drumming career like it took me to figure out like this is not what you should be doing, what you should do is get out of the way and listen to some of these guys like Phil, just play exactly what the song needs. You know, their drums are able to sing because they're not filling up, you know, all of the track space with all this noise. You know, you can really elevate and bring out the drums and compress them, you know, as hard as you want because there's not too much going on. It's just a testament to the other side of what we were talking about. Say somebody like maybe Dave Grohl, where it's like, you know, this is the side of the, the, the spectrum you can also be on and be just like that perfect, simple pocket drummer. And there's tons of bands and artists that are looking for that exact thing right there. And they're not going to be like impressed if you can like gospel chop through a song or whatever. What they want to hear is tasteful 
service of the song and he gives you nothing you know extra it's just like exactly you know that it really is i keep hitting i hate to keep using the fine dining thing but it's exactly like someone brings you out this amazing meal it's a few ingredients prepared to perfection you know and so i feel like he's that example for drumming of like listen to this guy be so unselfish and try to learn something from that because drummers man do we struggle with being unselfish you know it's just, oh absolutely yeah you know, the impulse is to try to be like look at me look at me look what i can do you know and um i i feel like the more that i've adapted that kind of thinking of into my drumming it's really balanced me out and it's really you know i feel like even the other players and musicians I'm around, they subconsciously notice like, oh, wow, you're really like, you're trying not to get in the way. Thank you. You know, so um, he's just, he's, he's somebody that everybody needs to understand what it is about him and what he's doing that is greatness, you know, defined, you know, and, and then of course, ACDC, you know, it's just perfect rock and roll music. I mean, they'll never be maybe more iconic rock and roll made you know and so it goes to show you how you know how it can all get made and it's not the drummer back there like launching this stuff into the stratosphere you know it's him just being that solid foundation for the songs and he just helps him truck along like a train you know and it's just it's perfect drumming it really is so you gotta you gotta understand that if you want to you know have that temperance and be a balanced player so had to put him in the mix had to put him in the lineup you know i'm so stoked to play this song right now so yes highway to hell by acdc here we go god it's so iconic man so simple simple ingredients no crash symbol doesn't waste the time So this is the part of the conversation where Tim's audio cut out completely. So the rest of this episode is actually going to be voice memos that Tim sent me after the fact. So thanks, Tim, for taking the time and hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. Okay, so the next drummer I chose is Glenn Kochave of the band Wilco. 
Uh, Glenn is just one of those elite drummers that uh, most people I don't think will ever be able to, to get to a level like Glenn is playing on. But he also walks this perfect line of being an incredibly talented, high, highly skilled, elite level drummer. But he also knows how to play exactly what is needed for each and every song. Uh, watching their documentary, I Am Trying to Break Your Heart, I didn't realize that Glenn had only been in the band for a few weeks at that point, but you could tell what a huge influence he already was. Um, Glenn is one of those guys that can go out and do clinics all by himself, or you can plug him into a band like Wilco and he'll play exactly you know what's needed for each song. Um, <clears throat> I got to see them the Orlando House of Blues on the Ghost is Born tour many, many, many years ago. And I was just so blown away by how punchy and crisp everything that Glenn did on the drums sounded. <clears throat> um, I really don't have to say too much more about him because you probably, you know, most drummers in the drumming community are very, very well aware of Glenn and his skill level. So uh, just wanted to, to shout him out as a huge influence for me in trying to come up with creative, uh, effective ways to add to the songs and, and uh, the songwriting. And he certainly um, sets the standard for drummers in that way. Um, so yeah, Glenn Kochi, um, the song is called, um, at least that's what you said. And it's an absolute banger. Great, great song, incredible record. Thank you, Glenn.
Okay, so the next guy that I had to include for my big fat, big fat five, um, <clears throat> this next drummer is a favorite of mine, David Sandstrom, and he played drums for the band The Refused. Uh, the Refused is a band that's been around for a really long time, um, and I don't think that they've ever really properly probably given the credit that they deserve. Um, <clears throat> this is a band that I feel like had heavy influences on bands like At The Drive-In, and um, but they were really ahead of their time infusing, you know, aggressive scream, screamo metal kind of music with just super musical, super technical playing, um, and really a style that was kind of all their own. I think this is one of those records you either know of it if you're older like I am, and it's a staple and a favorite you know most if you talk to any sort of metalhead person and if you bring up the refuse they're either their lights are their eyes are going to light up or they're <clears throat> probably going to have no idea what you're talking about but um this song um the deadly rhythm is just an incredible sonic journey of um just punchy rhythmic drums it's almost difficult to tell what time signature they're playing sometimes in this song and it's just a sonic assault of the highest level and the highest caliber um, and then they infuse it with a little bass and drum uh, jazz and it's just such a fun song and fun adventure to go on with this band really this entire record from top to bottom is just a a total blast of a record and a really fun listening experience so if for some reason you are not familiar with the refused and the shape of punk to come this was a staple record when i was young for you know what what hardcore and and harder hitting bands could and should sound like so make sure to check this one out you will not be disappointed
Okay, and my final choice for one of my influential drummers. This one is a close to home, um, sort of personal favorite of mine. Um, <clears throat> and I had to had to bring these guys up because they were just they've been such a huge influence and um and this band Color Revolt that we've been really, really good friends with for a long time. They've um one of these bands that kind of transcended from being just to, you know, our buddies in a band that we knew and had been playing shows alongside of for years. We really watched them kind of kick into a new gear and really start writing songs and putting out albums that we felt were really some of the best music that we were hearing. You know, it was pretty crazy when your friends start putting out art on this level. But um, Color Revolt put out a record called Beg Plunder curse um i believe and the song that i picked off of the this record is called ageless every time and len clark the drummer of color revolt um he's a he's a buddy of mine but he is a huge huge influence on me and has been for years on the way that he approaches his drumming and his songwriting um he really has a a way of carving out, you know, a, a path with the drums for the song that really leaves its mark and um, it's just really, really well done. Um, and so it's it's amazing to call Len a friend, but also a huge influence. And um, Len, if you hear this, man, just want you to know I appreciate you and I thank you for your, your quality drumming over the years and that time to time I I'm influenced by and and will you know use as some inspiration. Um, <clears throat> I feel like Color Revolt and it definitely has had an influence on Manchester and just all, it's all kind of coming up in the same music scene together. It was kind of impossible for it not to happen. But um, this record is really incredible from top to bottom. It is um, just a total total clinic and amazing songwriting and covering all sorts of dynamics super loud super heavy and then there's times where it's really soft and really gentle and just considerate music and um, man i couldn't speak highly enough of color revolt and they're just really 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 amazing dudes too so um if you haven't heard of this band for some reason please go check out color revolt check out their whole catalog um, and if you're, a, you know, a drummer listening to this, make sure to check out Len's drumming and the way he's really, really servicing the songs and his playing. Um, very, very cool drumming style. So um, had to make sure to put our, our good buddies Colorful in here and give him a little love and a good shout out. Um, yeah, so that ought to do it for my uh, Big Fat Five. I've been so lucky to get on here and to get to spend some time talking with Ben. And man, I thank you so much for having me. I've been wanting to get on the show for a long time and talk with you about drums and drumming. And I'm so, uh, so, so honored and proud to be a part of the drumming community and to know about amazing players and drummers and, um, and drumming products like Big Fat Five and all of that stuff. So once again, just a huge, huge thank you to you guys for having me, um, including me in the podcast. And I can't wait to, to hear it. Uh, thank you to, to Ben big time. And um, let's do this again sometime.
That's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye.